Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go here, David. David, what can we say? Corbin Burns, National League, Cy Young. I know we've been talking about Burns and the Brewers pitching staff all year, but uh, should be a good one today as we break down the National League Cy Young Award winner, Corbin Burns. Certainly should be. Was very excited to hear the news of Corbin Burns winning the Cy Young. I was watching the uh, the cell or the uh, the the show that revealed who would win with my with my dad, and we both. Uh, let out a, a fist pump and gave a high five right when we heard Oral Hershiser say Corbin. We we were we were we were very excited. Uh, a little bit. I, I was a little bit worried that he might not win it, and it seems like those uh, those thoughts were backed up by the fact that he only won by ten points. Voting was really close, so that was something that was a it was a pretty tight race. And I don't think you could have gone wrong with with Burns or Wheeler. Voters chose to go with Burns. Certainly, we are very excited about that. We'll talk a little bit more about Corbin Burns and his Cy Young season uh, a little in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I won't I won't uh, dump, jump into it more than that, but it was I will say a little bit of a surprise to see him win, but was very much excited and happy to see that uh, those words come out of Oral Hershiser's mouth. It was a little bit strange, like waiting to just mouth out who who uh, Hershiser was going to select, and I agree, I was surprised. Uh, but we'll get to more of Corbin Burns uh, further on into this episode. Uh, first, David, what's today's trivia question? Today's trivia question is who is or who are the two longest tenured brewers? Manny Pena was the longest tenured brewer. He just signed with Atlanta. And as I, I'm wearing the Braves shirt again now under, you can't see it. It seems like I do this every week. But uh, who are the two longest brewers? So this goes by service time. Uh, so kind of continually, who's spent the most time with the brewers? Uh, so not not counting Lorenzo Kane, who debuted for the Brewers back in 2010. This also doesn't include Hauser, uh, who debuted in 2015, but then was in the minors for a while. Uh, so just know a little bit of the parameters on that. Or even Craig Council. <laughs> well, that's true. Tenured than, yeah, than 2004 any... or something like that. Yeah. Or even as a manager, though. I, I was just thinking even as a manager. True. That I is mean, true. He, would, he has, yeah. he has uh, outlasted. I, I, think, um, I think he had outlasted Pena, too. But I think... Um, there were, well, John Axford this year, <laughs> uh, he, he was teammates with him for a little bit. Um, but it is, yeah, he would be the longest and he's the longest tenured manager in the national league, uh, with the same team. So, uh, some, uh, it feels like they're not very long tenured, the, the players now, but I mean, I, I think it's partly because of just the way that Stearns manages the team and it's worked for the Brewers. So yeah, that's absolutely. today's trivia question. Who are the two longest tenured Brewers. Yeah, and certainly more more to come on Craig Council as well further into this episode. Uh, many of you likely know where that's heading. But before we get to that, our random player of the day, a good one here. He's been mentioned many times before on the podcast. We'll have to get him on the po- on the <laughs> podcast sometime. Uh, Wei Chung Wong, a name that many of you will be familiar with, not for his on-field performance, probably most for his music video performance, I would guess. I would have to say so. Yeah, that was probably his best performance uh, of the year. That 2014 year, the Brewers stashed him on their roster. Uh, after picking him up in the Rule 5 draft uh, in hopes to be the next Ching-Ming Wong uh, or Yan Chen uh, wasn't necessarily the case with him, a 10.9 ERA. I just remember watching him out there, and he was not a major league pitcher, far from it. 
um, and it was evident because the 10.9 ERA came in all mop-up <laughs> duties well, as well. I remember one time it had been like two weeks since he had pitched. <laughs> Bullpen was really taxed, and they were down 4-3 in the seventh inning. They are like, we got to just put him out there. I-, I think he allowed five runs in the first inning out there. I kind of felt bad for him because he just he was not a major league caliber pitcher yet at that point. I agree, and that's going to be tough too on a co- from a confidence level as well, just to be thrown out there like that when you're not ready. And of course, that 2014 year with the Brewers, I also had a few games in 2017 as well with the crew. And then uh, in 2019, moved around from Toronto, Oakland, and actually returned to Pittsburgh where the Brewers initially picked him up from. Uh, I believe he's playing in Taiwan now, is that correct? That is correct. He went back to Taiwan, pitched a year in Korea, I think, actually. Um, I think between his stints with his second stint with the Brewers and before he came back, um, and then went to Taiwan for the 2020 season. And is there was there again 2021? I think he was the first overall pick. They have a draft of Taiwanese players, so he went first overall. Actually, can't imagine that there are too many Taiwanese players that are ex big leaguers pitching or playing in that league at all. Uh, just a handful of, of Taiwanese players ever. I was looking at at a list of all the. Taiwanese players, only 16 in total that have played, and the first one debuted in 2002. So we've seen a lot since then, but really none before then. So just thought it was kind of interesting, Wei Chung Wong being one of that uh, group of 16 Taiwanese major leaguers. Yeah, and we talked about Manny Pena departing uh, as the longest tenured brewer. Brewers quickly filling his backup in Pedro Severino, signing a one-year $1.9 million deal. He looks to be the backup catcher after the Brewers decided to part ways with Luke Maley. Of course, he'll be backing up Narvaez after a solid year from him. Uh, what are your thoughts on Severino, and are you happy with the move? I don't mind it. I'm glad that they were able to bring in an established catcher to back up Narvaez. He's been in the majors for a few years now, bounced around between primarily Washington and, and Baltimore, staying on that uh, the mid-Atlantic region. Uh, but he had a an okay year. He actually got most of the playing time in Baltimore this year, but they decided to non-tender him. Uh, hit 248 this year, slugged 383. Certain uh, publications have his defense as better than others. Baseball Reference, I was saying, um, they're they're a little bit like his defense a little bit better. Theirs is more based off of like blocking and and uh, base stealing numbers. Fangraphs more dependent on the pitch framing metrics. Fangraphs does not rate him out quite as highly as Baseball Reference does. But the Brewers have shown a good job of being able to really improve their catchers and their defense. I know Mario Feliciano, the Brewers' top catching prospect. He's a guy who has really improved since he got into the organization as a as a high school draft pick. Narvaez, I mean, we've seen that one yeah. with our eyes. Uh, we saw him early last year versus even by the end of this year. He looked much, much better. So certainly the Brewers are hoping to do that, continue, maybe continue the development of Pedro Severino. He is 28 years old, but could be a little bit of upside. They can control him for another year beyond 2022 as well. So bringing in a, potentially a, a couple of years, uh, backup Pedro Severino, also a right-handed hitter to complement the left-handed hitting Narvaez. Yeah, that makes a, makes a lot of sense, and I, I agree. He he can add some value, uh, be a, an established catcher there, and a little bit more upside perhaps than uh, Nevin Ashley or some other past uh, Brewers backstops. Uh, where do you see playing time falling? Of course, not, we know Narvaez is going to be the starter, and certainly we expect uh, probably um, you know maybe not a similar year to, to 2020, but. Uh, still, we are expecting pretty decent things from Narvaez. Do you see him playing uh, three out of five games, four out of five games, you know, the everyday catcher, whatever that looks like nowadays? I would say probably around four out of five games. And I think that the game that he sits is going to usually be the one that comes against a left-handed pitcher. 
it's more common now that catching platoons will fall that way. It, I think it was less common. It was more based on the starting pitcher, but the Brewers haven't really done that. They didn't do that with Narvaez and Pena. And I think that it'll kind of continue that way with, with Pedro Severino taking over as the backup catcher. So I think generally, I think Severino will probably get a little bit less playing time than Pena did. But I do think that there will still be some sort of time split. And you really have to, unless you have Salvador Perez. Yeah. The, no catcher really is going to play every single day. They don't make them like they used to. <laughs> they also aren't throwing 84. <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, other it was a pretty busy week really in the early part of the offseason. The Pedro Severino signing. Brewers also acquiring Mike Brusso, the uh, utility infielder from the Rays in exchange for Evan Reifert. What were your thoughts on this trade? How do you see uh, Brusso fill, filling in with the Brewers roster? He's a utility infielder. He's someone that I think could fit in nicely, got that positional versatility that the Brewers love. His left-handed pitching really well. At a down year in 2021, and value was a little bit lower. Uh, he he only had a 266 on base, 347 slugging, but he can play all over the infield, especially play a little bit of corner outfield as well. And he's coming off a really good year in 2020, where he hit 302 in some limited playing time, 98 plate appearances, but has had some success. Uh, at the major league level, he's played, uh, looks like every position except for uh, shortstop. And he actually has pitched in his in his major league career a couple times too. Other than shortstop, catcher, and center field. So those up the middle positions, but could pretty much play anywhere else. And he's probably best known for hitting a big home run off of Roldis Chapman in the 2020 ALDS. Put the Rays ahead in game five, the deciding game five. And propel them into the American League Championship Series. Uh, so Mike Brasso could be a, a nice addition to the Brewers roster, but also could maybe spell the end of Jace Peterson. That's something that was brought up. I think it's possible. I would like to see the Brewers retain Peterson. I think there is room for both Peterson and Brasso, both pretty good hitting utility infielders. Uh, we'll see what the Brewers decide on on Peterson. Yeah, I think that'll come down to potentially what they decide to do at first base because uh, you think about the uh, you know Yelich, Kane, Taylor. Uh, JBJ in the outfield, and then you've got potentially Peterson and Barroso that could sit on the bench. I think it comes down to what they decide to do with first base. One thing to note uh, for 2021 season, like you said, he did only bat 187 um, with a 266 on base, but did have a one-win season, according to baseball reference, uh, which is just kind of intriguing given the lack of offense uh, from the traditional stats from him. But we'll see what the Brewers decide to do with him alongside Jace Peterson. I'm 100% with you. I think Peterson deserves to be back. He was really a, a pretty big piece when you think about what was expected from him coming into the 2021 season. I'd like to see the Brewers choose to reward him and bring him back next year. Uh, we talked about Craig Council earlier. Manager of the Year award was announced as expected. Council did not win, uh, but I think as expected, he received... Uh, second place, a lot of people were expecting either a second or third place finish uh, from Council. He did receive one first place vote as well with the award going to the Giants skipper, Gabe Kapler, to no surprise. But Council's been recognized many times in this award, uh, but has yet to win one yet. So I I'm not sure what else what else to say. I think he's doing a great job in Milwaukee, uh, but frankly, just the other teams. There's always that one team who was expected to be worse than the Brewers and had a better year than mm -hmm. than, than Council the yeah. Brewers. Yeah, and I think it's kind of just waiting for that year. Even, I know Baseball America surveyed uh, a pretty wide variety of players, executives, coaches, 
for different traits, different tools of players. But one of the one of the uh, the the options was who is the best manager in Major League Baseball. Craig Council won that survey actually. So I think around the game, he's widely considered one of the best. And I think it's just yeah, kind of hitting that the wrong year. Yeah. Kapler with the 107 win Giants coming out of nowhere. I remember 2018, Bud Black took the Rockies to uh, that wild card game. Ended up, uh, of course, being swept, but more than just swept, uh, obliterated by the Brewers in the NLDS. But that was a Rockies team that had very low expectations. 2019, I think Council finished fourth place for his good finish, uh, good season in the year that they lost in the wild card game to the Nationals. So it's more of just a, a matter of, uh, of circumstances. I think it's it's basically a matter of time until Council does win his own Manager of the Year. But it's his third time finishing second place. He finished fourth place as well in 2019. So, I mean, I'm sure Council isn't too caught up in it. But I'm confident that he will win one of these times. Manager of the Year, kind of the most arbitrary as well. Uh, but still, nice to see him get a little bit of recognition, I guess, second place. Um, showing that he is one of the better managers out there. Yeah, there's there's certainly no debate. And a lot of, I think, if anything, if you're correct counsel, the respect from the players and other executives says more than baseball writers of association. Because really, the manager of the year comes down to, you know, what were the, what was the team's expectations coming into the year and uh-huh. how much did they exceed them Yeah, is really what it is. You, you come in with the Dodgers roster and they win the World Series and the Giants do what, excuse me, the, yeah, the Giants do what they do this year. Kapler's still going to win the manager of the year, well, even if they won less games. And it, and it also, to add to that, it's also, did you make the playoffs? Because you could be projected to win 65 to 70 games and win 85 to 90 and yeah. miss the playoffs. You're not going to win. I mean, Scott Service of the Mariners, I actually thought he probably should have won in the American League. He took that Mariners team that had no business being in, a, in playoff contention. Yeah. They won 90 games. I thought he was more deserving of the award, and someone like that should be more rewarded than somebody who... Takes his team to the playoffs, but right, the spread's though, not yeah, as significant. Yeah, yeah. Right. Although, really, I mean, it's hard to hard to judge managers because you see the manager of the year often be fired a year later, two years later. So that's kind of why this manager of the year award is it's very arbitrary, but it still is, I guess, the only real honor for managers to have uh, as far as the award voting goes. Craig Council finishing second this year to Gabe Kapler of the Giants. Yeah, and Brewers not finishing up second uh, in the National League Cy Young. Corbin Burns taking home that, like you said, the 10-point margin behind, or in front of, I should say, Zach Wheeler, followed by Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, a Brewers, uh, I was almost going to say Brewers ace, a Brewers other good starting pitcher, Brandon Woodruff, Kevin Gosman, Adam Wainwright, Julio Urias, and Jacob deGrom rounding out the voting. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on this, David? Well, Brandon Woodruff actually... He was interviewed afterwards, and he finished fifth place. He said that he found out because he had a friend text him that he had gotten fifth place congratulating him. Uh, And he said that he was watching the show Moonshiners on the Discovery Channel at the time. Uh, Seems very on on character for uh, Brandon Woodruff. But a very nice honor for Corbin Burns. We were saying at the beginning, we weren't sure if he was going to win it. And when I was looking at the voting breakdown, I thought it was interesting. Eight out of the ten votes from NL Central cities went to Burns. Seven of the 10 NL East City writers, it went to Wheeler. And it was kind of that NL West that was the the deciding factor. Uh, And Burns and Wheeler actually tied at 12 first place votes. So it was the second place votes that actually really more kind of made the difference between Burns and Wheeler. And more of the NL East and NL West writers had Burns, I guess, as a second place. 
Scherzer receiving six votes for first place as well. So kind of interesting to see the breakdown. I've never really seen it. And both of the Milwaukee writers voting in favor of Corbin Burns for Cy Young in, in first place. Yeah, I'd like to know who voted Corbin Burns fourth and who voted Zach Wheeler fifth. Um, there's always those those outliers out there. We've talked about this with the Hall of Fame voting and just those sort of bizarre votes that don't seem to make any sense. I'm not sure the case you can make for Corbin Burns finishing fourth in the National League signing. I get it. If you want to say Burns is second, maybe if you want to say Burns is third, I, I just would strongly disagree. But uh, maybe you can make the case. I don't know how he ends up fourth or Zach Wheeler ending up fifth as well. Both of those seem way far out of right field, in my opinion. Yeah, it looks like it was one of the San Diego writers who voted Burns fourth place and one of the Cincinnati writers uh, who voted Wheeler for fifth place. Interesting. So, it's interesting that he even had, uh, that, that Cincinnati writer had Woodruff even before Wheeler, um, which, again, big fan of Woodruff. Great year from him. I don't think but he's he was, not. he didn't have a better year yeah. than Zach Wheeler. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, not as bad as Lamont Wade Jr. receiving a 10th place MVP vote. I think that was from a Giants writer, too. I, there were actually, there was a lot of uh, hometown voting that I saw. You look at the Cy Young here, both Philadelphia writers voted Wheeler, both Milwaukee writers voted for Burns. Um, and, I mean, one of the LA voters voted for Scherzer, one of the Washington, a split time between the two. But in the MVP voting, even, we saw that in the National League, uh, the Washington voters, I think both of them voted Soto. The Philadelphia writers voted Harper. Actually, both San Francisco voters voted Brandon Crawford first place for MVP. I know he had a great year, but I, I don't think he was yeah. first place MVP. Uh, I, I saw it actually a little bit more this year. I've never really paid attention to it. Uh, but one of the more interesting things, with especially with the way that voting for awards goes, is kind of strange and also a little bit strange that you only get 30 voters. Like, wouldn't you want to have a bigger pool to try to have a maybe a more wider and con more consensus opinion between the writers? Seems yeah. like it make a little more sense. One of those things that it's the way it is, and it's baseball, so it'll probably stay that way for a long, long time. Um, we baseball just likes to keep things the way it is, regardless of whether it makes sense or is in the best interest of the players or the the, the sport. If it's the way it is, a lot of times they just like to leave that alone. So. Again, Corbin Burns, the 2021 National League Cy Young Award winner. Congratulations to him. Uh, the second topic here today, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one, revisiting our preseason predictions. This was a long, long ago when uh, we were hoping the Brewers could sneak in, maybe win a wild card, maybe stretch and win the National League Central. Um, my projection, 84 wins from the Brewers. David, your projection, 86 wins, so at least closer than I was. Brewers uh, slightly outperformed expectations uh, any thoughts on our uh, projected win totals? Well, we both actually s said that our, our win totals were going to win the division. We said that the 84 and the 86 were going to be able to win the National League Central. Of course, we were right that the Brewers won the Central Division, but outperformed our uh, our estimates by about 10 wins, winning 95 games this year. Uh, and the, Brewers per the, the players were a little bit different. I mean, once we got past midseason, they had Willie Adames, who, of course, we, we've We've talked about him a lot. Um, he was excellent. They had Eduardo Escobar. The bullpen looked a little bit different. Jake Cousins emerged. Hunter Strickland had a really nice year. So there were there were a lot of things that that factored in that maybe we would if we would have known about we might have had them a little bit higher. But at the same time, they did significantly outperform the expectations that were had for them. Well, I, I think on the flip side, if we were told Christian Yelich was going to have the year that he had, 
uh, in 2021, I don't think we were going 96 wins either. Yelich, both of our picks for the Brewers MVP, of course, we uh, couldn't have exactly seen Adames or uh, really Burns having the, the year that, that, that they had. But both of us with Christian Yelich, our uh, early season MVP, of course, both of us going with uh, Adames and or Burns um, for the years that they had. Brewer Cy Young, I will uh, pat myself on the back, back for this one. Corbin Burns, my pick for the Cy Young, at least for the Brewers. I, I didn't, I did not go as far to say Corbin Burns was going to win the NL Cy Young, but did have him as my selection for the Brewers Cy Young of 2021, uh, which I'm sure he, we would all agree, did achieve. David, not a bad pick. Brandon Woodruff had a had a not half bad season as well this year. Yeah, he was a he did finish top five, uh, and I, I think he would have been the Brewer Cy Young and. What, Any 48 year. out of yeah. the 51 years in yeah. Brewers history, so certainly was was uh, was close on that. I also made the prediction that Woodruff would be an NL Cy Young finalist. Perhaps if uh, Burns wouldn't have been so good, maybe Woodruff would have gotten more That's actually, more recognition yeah. and more credit. Uh, so I blame that on Burns. I, I said that Woodruff would be a, a Cy Young winner. I also said Freddie Peralta was going to be an All Star. That's and true. That's true. I'd like to pat myself yes. on the back for that one. That, now, I think that's a bolder take than, than Burns. As yeah, a as, a, as a starting pitcher, Freddie yeah. Peralta's a starter. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Jumping over to the National League MVP, uh, my pick, Ronald Acuna Jr., of course. He had, was off to a good start uh, before the season-ending injury. So, of course, he not winning that award. David getting number two there, Juan Soto. Did have a good year and, and could have won it. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. in another year he could have won it. A uh, great year from him and Harper. Imagine if the two were still together in Washington. That would be a pretty crazy a combination, I guess, depending on the Harper year that you True. get. <laughs> um, but uh, close one for you there with Soto. Uh, similarly in the AL for me, Mike Trout, my pick. Um, of course, Trout as well getting hurt. The worst calf strain in, in, in sports <laughs> history. Injury-ridden. Angels continue their their bad luck uh, and their playoff drought. Uh, you actually went with another angel, Shohei Otani, who had, I think, a pretty good year, I've heard. Yeah, yeah I, I, I hit that one on the head. I, was, uh, I, I kind of forgot about that until later on in the year and I realized that I had said before the year that he was going to be the MVP. I said this was going to be the year he put it all together. More normal offseason leading up into a year uh, where he could he could do both. Joe Madden seemed intent on letting him do both and he let him go and Otani did what I mean he, he, he did exceeded. Yeah, yeah he exceeded yeah. all the expectations we had for him. Even mine. I did not think he would be this good. I thought he would be like maybe a pretty good hitter, pretty good pitcher and he wins MVP and he did more than that. So yeah. I guess I was right on that one, and I uh, I will will take full credit for it. Well, before you get ahead of yourself, I'll jump over to to, uh, to AL Cy. Sure, I don't want to skip this one. <laughs> AL Cy Young, uh, my pick, Garrett Cole. Cole having a good year this year, obviously. Uh, David, your pick, Hyunjin Ryu. Yeah, uh, Ryu had a four three seven ERA and uh, one hundred sixty nine innings, one hundred forty three strikeouts. Was like about an average starting pitcher. So um, I mean, he didn't get hurt, I guess, but. Still was a was not a Cy Young caliber pitcher, unfortunately. So I will. Uh, we we can skip past this one. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, over to the National League Cy Young Award. Uh, I had Max Scherzer, which didn't turn out bad, especially uh, as he approaches age forty, and and you going with Jacob Degrom, who uh, also could have had a chance. You know, looking. I remember on that stretch run we were talking about uh, with Burns in contention for the Cy Young, and Degrom was was up there too. Um, him, of course, fading away. But not bad picks. I think both both of us were there. Pretty safe picks. Yeah. Like well, and, and if Degrom stays healthy, he wins Cy Young, uh, unless he fell off the table in the second half, which didn't seem like it was going to happen. Um, and you did a nice job with the Cy Young predictions. Pretty nice job. But 
Yeah, you also did pick Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer, who were, uh, <laughs> I would say, probably the two preseason favorites. They're aging, though. They're aging. I guess that is true. So, we'll see. I mean, they don't they don't look like it, though. That's for sure. I I don't expect them to slow down anytime soon. Uh, American League champion, I, I went with the Yankees. You went with the White Sox. Both of us falling flat on that one. Uh, I, mine won. My, White Sox had a great year. Um, of course, eliminated the playoffs earlier than expected. I, I was really hoping for a Brewers-White Sox World Series. I think that would have been a really, really good, uh, fun matchup to watch. Uh, but both of us falling short on that one. And then in the National League, I went with the Dodgers. You went with the Padres, which I I, I, I will just I say mean, it's... I say at least I didn't pick Dodgers-Yankees. True. That's fair. That's fair. But Padres not even making the playoffs. Who would have thought that going into the year? Um yeah, it would have been. I mean, of course, you knew the Dodgers were going to be there, so you knew it was going to be likely a, a battle there, we thought, between the Padres and Dodgers. Then, of course, you got the Giants emerging. That, of course, didn't help their case, but still to see them fall off, would you attribute that to their uh, just how young that team is, that they weren't able to just uh, make the whole full 162-game season, uh, or was it something else that you thought? I think that was part of it. It seemed like Jace Tingler, the manager, kind of lost the clubhouse a little bit. We saw more publicly the uh, the scuffle between Tatis and Machado in the dugout later in the year, which, I mean, I, I think what we see from the outside is really just a fraction of what goes on on the inside, but bringing in Bob Melvin could help them. I think it's also possible, uh, and this is more of an old school take, but sometimes you need more players to come up through the organization and really provide that core of players who play almost that brand of baseball. They are kind of more integral parts of the Padres organization. You know, Tatis came up through the organization, uh, a, a superstar, one of their best players, Chris Paddock, uh, starting pitcher. I'm sure I'm forgetting one or two guys. But really, there they aren't a lot of guys that have come up through the organization as young guys. They brought in Manny Machado, Adam Frazier, Eric Hosmer, Tommy Pham, Yu Darvish, Blake Snell, Mark Melanson. These are all veterans that are coming in from the outside. You can supplement your team with them, but it's very hard to build a team that way. Reminds me kind of of the Phillies right now. The Phillies, they started rebuilding and then they were like, this is not going well. Let's just throw some money at it. And they've ended up with a bunch of average teams, which is really uh, what's happened. Now, I think the Padres are more talented than that. They have a little bit more talent on the way as well. But I think that's partly what happened, too, is they, they haven't really established their identity as a team. And I think that there is something to be said about that, even if it might not show up in the uh, the box score, the, the run differentials that they're attributed, maybe more directly to poor hitting or lack of on-base skills. When I, I think that it, there is something to be said about that. Yeah, I think it's sort of that AAU team uh, for uh, the basketball comparison there, where you just got a bunch of good players put them together and and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and uh, like you said as far as the Tatis and Machado scuffle I think that's just a combination of, of frustrations mounting up of the season because I mean they were expected to be a World Series contender um, and a lot of people had them coming out of the National League this year with the talent that they did have so I think that also mounts a lot of pressure on a young team who wasn't able to withstand that so certainly still a force to be reckoned with in the next couple of years the next five years they still have a very bright future ahead. This could just be, you know, one tough year for them. Who knows? Uh, certainly will be uh, a valid competitor in the National League for the next couple of years. So there's our. Oh, I think we did. We did all right. We had a. Uh, we had some flops in there, but uh, Otani uh, successfully selected from you uh, was it was a good pick. Uh, of course, the outstanding year that he had. 
Final topic here today, David, our Brewers free agent targets. We've talked about this briefly, mainly just mentioned a few names. Uh, you've mentioned Nick Castellanos, Nelson Cruz, uh, Mark Canna. Uh, we've got a couple of those and some more today. Break down uh, potential targets for the Brewers. I think across uh, different budgets that the Brewers may uh, choose to stick to. I think with the, let's start with the, the biggest splash. Uh, if the Brewers did choose us to go with uh, him, Nick Castellanos, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, him and the likelihood the Brewers could obtain uh, his talent? I mean, I'd be thrilled if the Brewers were able to get Nick Castellanos, but unfortunately, I don't think it's very likely. I think the price tag might scare them away a little bit, unless we do see an influx of cash coming in with a new collective bargaining agreement that could be agreed upon. Um, we'll see what happens with that this offseason. But we're looking at someone who could be getting 20 to $25 million a year, maybe four or five years. So he is going to get paid. And there's good reason for that. He slugged 576 last year, played in the hitter-friendly conditions at Great American Ballpark, but he still slugged 576. It's very hard to do that. One of the top hitters in the league. Very good gap-to-gap -gap power. Hits home runs, hits for average. He's going to hit regardless, especially at a, a nice, another nice hitting environment at American Family Field. He doesn't have a position exactly. Below average corner outfielder. Came up as a third baseman. Could try him at first. Maybe that could work. But he hasn't actually played a, a professional inning at first base. But his right-handed bat would fit real nice in the lineup. He's somebody that you plug into the middle of the order. And he's going to hit. He's going to really bolster the lineup. Be that guy that hitters, uh, excuse me, that pitchers fear in the middle of the lineup. And I think he would be a great addition for that reason. I'm just not so certain that the Brewers would choose to go after him, given his his cost, his price tag that's attached to him. Yeah, I think if you look for a guy who complements the Brewers lineup, uh, Castellanos is your guy. Uh, kills left-handed pitching, like you said, would go really well uh, with the left-handed heavy lineup the Brewers have uh, and provide the much-needed power uh, the Brewers really are looking for. So I, I certainly see the fit. I'm with you on the price tag. Not exactly sure. It seems to be... I don't know if Castellanos was a late bloomer. I know he was a good prospect with the Tigers. Uh, seems like it's taken him some time to really develop into a, a big bat in the middle of the lineup like some people thought he was going to be uh, coming up. Uh, is that really the case with him, or has he just been putting up kind of quiet years? I think that is the case. He also came up at 21 or 22, so he was a little bit young when he came up. was a high school guy. Uh, and I, I think partly what didn't help is that the Tigers were trying to have him play third base when he's just not a third baseman. It, it doesn't really get talked about, but I think where you play positionally can play a, a big role in your offensive production. Uh, I know the Ranger shortstop Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was saying that uh, playing shortstop is a lot different offensively even, the effect it has on your offensive game, versus playing third base. Uh, so... I think that's part of it. Castellanos probably taking a little bit to adjust there. And then that younger age that he came up at the major league level. And it was, I mean, he was like an okay player for a couple of years until kind of more emerged in around 2017, where he really kind of came into his own and then had a really good year, his best year for sure, this past year, 2021, with the Reds. Yeah, certainly a good year to, to have a good one coming off uh, now a free agent year. And uh, like you said, he he's going to get paid. And really, I, I think the only way the Brewers... Um, have a chance at him is, is if we see his his market dry up a little bit, maybe for whatever reason teams aren't as willing to pay the price that he's looking for, and maybe he goes late into free agency. But I, I think it's a long shot at this point that the Brewers would be committing that, that amount of money to a guy like Castellanos with, with the current payroll. Uh, Michael Conforto is another name uh, that's been brought up. 
uh, lower price tag than Castellanos, also obviously a lesser bat. Uh, what do you think about the odds that uh, he becomes a Brewer, and what kind of impact would he have on the team? I would be excited if the Brewers got Conforto as well. He's a left-handed hitting corner outfielder, but he does play better defense than Castellano, so that's not much of an issue, the, the defensive the position where, where he would play. He had a down year last year, so that's the thing where you might be a little bit hesitant. Slugged under 400, which for a guy with pretty good power historically, a little bit concerning. But, I mean, you would have to imagine that coming to American Family Field would help that left-handed power bat. That's kind of what American Family Field was made for. Career 121 weighted runs created plus, which is well above average. Uh, and he came up when he was, was pretty young as well. Uh, so he made a pretty good impact right away and has proven himself as a, a very good player, maybe borderline all-star type. Uh, got an above average walk rate, about an average strikeout rate. Brewers certainly don't want to bring on someone who's going to strike out a lot. And he's probably looking for a one-year deal after his, his poor 2021 season. Probably looking to reestablish his value and then hit the market again next year. A little bit weaker free agent class. Maybe coming off a better year, playing in a more hitter-friendly ballpark. Could be getting around $20 million. He turned down the qualifying offer for $18.4 million from the Mets. So it would cost the Brewers a draft pick. Uh, Castellanos would as well. I think about a fourth round pick. So shouldn't be a huge deterrent, but might be a consideration to the Brewers, to, to David Stearns, Matt Arnold, if they do decide to, to bring on Castellanos or Conforto. Is, is a JBJ comparison to Conforto uh, far off, given that uh, Conforto, like you said, having a down Can year? Hit. Yeah, right, can hit. Conforto having a down year, and of course, JBJ signing uh, last offseason, coming off of a down year from him, and maybe not quite the same caliber player, uh, even in his peak or in his prime, but is that uh, somewhat of a comparison of these two guys? Well, I think the circumstances surrounding them were, are pretty different. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. was actually decent in 2020, but because the the way the market was, teams were more hesitant to spend. Shortened season, not sure exactly what to buy in on the sample size, I think that's partly why then Jackie Bradley Jr.'s market fell a little bit and the Brewers pounced on it. Certainly doesn't look good for them right now, but could turn it around still next year. Conforto, I think, is a little bit more that he's just kind of more traditional. He had a bad year. Let's try to hit the market again next year. Get a one-year deal, a pillow contract, as Scott Boris, I think, coined the phrase, as he is uh, very good at coining phrases that don't really <laughs> make sense. Um, and, uh, yeah, Conforto could be in the market for that. The Brewers... Certainly have done that before, that we saw them bring in Grindall on a one-year deal. I think worth about 18 and a half million, 18 and a quarter. Mike Moustakis came on a one-year deal uh, that same year. Conforto could be the next in line. Yeah, both of those turning out very well, uh, Moustakis and Grandal uh, with that one-year deal. How about Nelson Cruz? Uh, seems like a guy who could also fit in as a one-year deal bat uh, and certainly would make a lot more sense if the DH did come to the National League this year. Yeah, if the DH does not come to the National League, I think it does not make sense to bring in Nelson Cruz. I don't think that he would be a good fit. He just can't really play the field adequately enough. I mean, we, we were talking about Castellanos being bad at defense. Cruz just doesn't play defense. So, I mean, how about we throw uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, throw him Cruz in left, and that's an average average defensive unit on the left side of the outfield. That is true. Uh, we, we, they could try to do that, but... Kane, um, Kane, yeah. Kane, Kane, JBJ, and Cruz, you just stick Cruz in the corner and then have... Jackie Bradley Jr. and Kane play uh, left center and right. Yeah, center. it's like when uh, when you're playing little league and the yeah. the one kid has to go home because he's got like a concert or something uh, during the fourth inning. Um, but 
but uh, yeah, this is dependent on the DH coming to the National League. It wouldn't make sense to bring him in if, if there is no DH. But he's going to hit. He slugged 497 last year's age 41 season. So he's getting up there in age. Started declining a little bit this year. But I don't see him as somebody who's going to have this this steep decline. I mean, he's already 41. So that's, <laughs> uh, he's not someone who has really declined much. And he's someone who uh, who doesn't strike out a lot. Walks still a good amount. Hits the ball hard. Hits lefties well. Kind of a Castellanos-esque fit. Uh, maybe not quite as good as Castellanos, so a little bit lesser, but also would come with a lower risk. Probably another one-year deal, maybe around between 10 and 14 million. That number might be pushed a little bit up if the National League does get the DH, though, with maybe an expanded market for Cruz. I would agree. I think that that number would go up, but 14, 15 million dollars a year for a guy slugging almost 500 uh, and hits lefties well. I'm not sure the Brewers could spend 15 million dollars next year uh, in a in a more suitable place than than in Nelson Cruz if we, in fact, do see the DH uh, come to the National League. How about Mark Canna? You've brought him up a couple of times, a lesser-known name, Oakland A's uh, on-base guy. Uh, of course, A's being known for their uh, on-base skills. So what about Mark Canna? Well, he doesn't have the power that Cruz or Conforto or Castellanos has, but he's got he's got some more defensive value, uh, can play a pretty good first base, and actually uh, pretty good at, at all three outfield positions. He's somebody you could throw out there when uh, Kane or Jack, Jackie Bradley Jr., Christian Yelich need a day off. And he's going to fill in nicely. He's a right-handed bat, more gap-to-gap more gap -gap power, uh, not as much of the uh, over-the-fence power like some of the other big names that we've said before have. But he would fit nice with some uh, some defensive versatility. Could be a nice platoon partner for Rowdy Telez at first base also. Uh, play against left-handed pitching and then fill in in the outfield as well when necessary. I'd be very happy if they brought in a guy like Canna. And a, probably a lower cost, maybe around $10 million a year for two or three years. I like the flexibility he can add as well. Like you said, he could easily fit in with Rowdy. Uh, hit, again, right-handed batter, uh, which would be helpful for the Brewers. And, like you said, could add some value in the outfield. I, I like him as well as a potential target. Uh, final candidate here, the World Series MVP, who, who does have over-the-wall power. Uh, in some ways, kind of the opposite of Canna. Uh, home run hitting Jorge Soler coming off uh, a good playoff run with the Braves. And, of course, the World Series championship. What about Jorge Soler coming to Milwaukee? Yeah, over the train tracks power, actually, <laughs> uh, with that mammoth blast he hit in Game 6 of the World Series. But I would be a little bit hesitant to bring him in because typically when somebody has that good of a performance in the playoffs, especially in the World Series, they're usually going to be a little bit overvalued that offseason in free agency. Could be looking at a contract similar to Avisail Garcia, uh, maybe around three years, 36, 39 million maybe. But he hit the ball hard this year. His slugging was 432, but his expected slugging, according to StatCast, 492. So painted a much different picture with his uh, his hard hit numbers and could be more similar to the hitter that hit 48 home runs back in 2019 than the guy who hit, I don't know, maybe about 17, 18 home runs this year. So he'd be somebody that uh, you could fit in, not necessarily a liability in, in right field, not the greatest defender either, would be a better fit for the DH, but he's not somebody that you necessarily have to have the DH to have him on the ball club. And he is another right-handed hitter, hits lefties well, good power. We've said this before with a lot of the other guys, but he would he would be a nice fit in the Brewers lineup. Yeah, I think he does have a little bit of risk as far as what which Jorge Soler are you going to see? Like I said, almost a 50 home run hitter uh, or a little bit more like 25 home runs a year. Um, so I think there's a little bit more risk, but still good good right-handed hitter. 
Uh, so we mentioned Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Nelson Cruz, Mark Canna, and Jorge Soler. Not saying, not asking you know, who would be your favorite. I think we've uh, agreed that Castellanos is probably the best bat there. But if you have to make one selection, let's say the Brewers sign one of those players, who do you think uh, Matt Arnold, uh, David Stearns, and the Brewers front office would pull the trigger on, again, given the player as well as taking into the account the, the budget associated with them? I think Mark Canna actually is the uh, the most likely, and I don't think that's the answer that most of our fans want to hear, but I think he would be a nice fit with the Brewers roster, that right-handed bat, a little bit less expensive, and I think that he's someone who would be a lower-cost option that the Brewers are always looking for, but he'd be somebody that would be a, a nice guy to bring in. I think that they, they maybe could bring him in, but also maybe bring in uh, a big platoon, big power platoon guy. Somebody who maybe whose value falls late in the offseason. It seems like we see a lot of those guys. We saw Logan Morrison, uh, kind of that uh, Justin Smoke. I mean, I <laughs> don't know if I want to make that comparison. But players along those lines that are usually players who kind of their market value will fall. Uh, you, you don't know exactly where the market value will be. I could see the Brewers looking for someone like that. Maybe in addition to Canna, but... Uh, those are some some guys that I could see the Brewers going after. I think they should target them, and I would be very excited to see one or more of them in a Brewers uniform in 2022. Yeah, I could see Canna adding a lot of value. You think about the the flexibility at first base and in the outfield, and just another right-handed bat. Uh, a lot of value could be uh, seen in in Canna, and a lot of those guys. We'll see what the Brewers decide to do um, as far as free agents. Um, we won't touch on this today, but uh, even talking free agents, but also extensions. Jose Barrios getting the seven-year, $131 million contract extension, which begs the question what that means for Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, of course, the two young aces that are currently not uh, locked up long-term. Both of them are currently in their arbitration years. Uh, won't, won't dive into that today, but next next week we'll be covering what, what, what does that mean for the Brewers? Are the Brewers looking to extend Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff or just one of the two? Uh, of course, we saw the big Christian Yalich extension the Brewers decided to do. I'm not sure the Brewers will have the pockets to do both of those, uh, or the desire, given given the outstanding years mm -hmm. that both of those players have had. Uh, so we will we will cover that one next week. I think that should be a good conversation. Uh, so watch out for that next week. Uh, David, as we wrap up today, what is today's trivia question? Today's trivia question was, uh, who are the two longest tenured brewers? Uh, so based on service time, uh, who are the two longest tenured brewers players? Who are your guesses on that one, Peter? Yeah, it's, it's funny to think back uh, that our longest tenured players would be two relief pitchers with, uh, given that the, you know, relievers are tend to be in and out more. But I, I believe uh, I, I had seen this previously that uh, Brent Suter and Josh Hader are now the longest tenured brewers, which is you know, mind boggling. I guess I, I would go with at this point. Am I remembering that correctly? That is correct. Uh, Brent Suter debuted in late 2016. If you remember when he started for the Brewers, that was against the Mariners, and that was the first left-handed pitcher start for the Brewers, I think, since Tom Gorzolani in 2012 or 2013. Or Narvison? Um, I think I think Gorzolani came a little bit after <laughs> Narvison, but Suter came up and made that spot start, and then he's been he was up and down the first couple of years. Had Tommy John surgery too in the middle of there. But has overall been a, a mainstay, a fixture in the Brewer staff, whether on the starting side or the relieving side. And Josh Hader, of course, the dominant reliever, came up mid-2017. So the Brewers actually only have uh, Hader and Suter, uh, who were on the team, Woodruff a little bit in, down the stretch in 2017 as well, when they fell just short of the playoffs. Uh, that was a team that was expected to not be in playoff contention at all. 
Ended up being at the All-Star break five and a half games ahead of the Cubs. Uh, Corey Knebel had a phenomenal year that year, and they overperformed a little bit. Only a few members actually still on that team, even though that was really part of the same contention window. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would say that's probably a, a good thing, given that it was like Arcia short, VR, I think, was second. Keon Broxton in center. Chasin. Uh, Chasin was signed in 18, oh, right. but Anderson right. had an excellent Anderson, year yeah. that year. Junior Guerra. So a number of those pieces that were really nice stop gaps, but not guys that you really necessarily want to build around. And the Brewers did then add a couple guys, had some guys come up, Burns and Woodruff, of course, uh, built them, built around them, and uh, I guess that's how that that's what happens then when you do that. A lot of turnover, and Brent Suter and Josh Hader are now the two longest tenured Brewers. Yeah, and to think that Adrian Hauser, even 2015, um, in, in some whether you wanted to make a case that he was the longest tenured, uh, with him appearing, or I guess Kane might jump in there, but 2015, yeah. Adrian Hauser, longest tenured, a uh, 40 man roster yeah. player, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but but crazy to think about Adrian Hauser all the way six years ago, making his debut, and, and of course the season that he had this year. Um, so I mentioned the tr- contract extension uh, talk next week on Burns and Woodruff. Uh, we'll also have to break down, you know, is there a lockout coming for Major League Baseball? Implications uh, with the DH, with the season schedule, with everything. Uh, we'll see uh, what what amounts to that. And then also the all-MLB team, we talked about that last week. Uh, Brewers having the three uh, young trio of starters, as well as um, Josh Hader and Devin Williams being nominated for that. Uh, the results will be coming out on the 23rd, so we'll cover that next episode. Uh, good one today, David. I think it was a, a, a fun-filled episode. Talking free agent targets, I think, is always exciting to see if the Brewers do choose to pull a trigger. It seems like, you know, the last couple of years, more or less, they, they've made at least a, a pretty decent splash each offseason, uh, if you count JBJ as being an and offseason. Colton Wong, that's too. Right, that's right. You're right. So I, I, it's, I'm, I'm optimistic the Brewers will uh, make additions to the roster. Any other final thoughts here uh, before we get off today? Last week we talked a little bit about who the Brewers could choose to protect from the Rule 5 draft that's uh, coming up barring a lockout, uh, which we'll talk about next week. But the Brewers actually decided to not protect anyone, nobody that they deemed too valuable to protect that they thought might get selected in the Rule 5 draft. So they decided against protecting anyone. They also outrighted Mark Mathias off the 40-man roster. Presumably, he will choose to elect free agency, uh, spelling the end of the Mark Mathias era. Uh, very, very sad uh, time for, for Brewers fans. Uh, so some 40-man roster activity, or even, I guess, lack thereof, that we, we typically see uh, them protecting guys on the 40-man roster around this time of year. Uh, but this year, they did not. They decided not to. So uh, that is the direction that they decided to go. And we could see the Rule 5 draft coming up. We could not, uh, depending on, I guess, whether or not uh, the, the, the owners lock out the players. Yeah, it's, it'll be an interesting offseason with, with the free agent talent and, of course, MLB lockout. Who knows what's, what's going to happen if the season will start on time, if we'll have rule changes. Uh, it should be a, an intriguing offseason. Obviously, we'll have you covered here. Uh, and again, to recap, Corbin Burns, your 2021 National League Cy Young winner. Uh, an incredible achievement for Corbin Burns. And as we sign off today, I will finish as always. Go Brewers! Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. 
and interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.